There's a lot of things in this old world That just do not make sense Like why there's so few believers on the firing line While so many others sit the fence But if you want to know where the word of God stands And believe it wants to use your feet and hands It's time to take your faith out of the seats And into the streets And come along with me If you'll only look Then you will see On WCN-TV Well, first of all, everyone, thank you so much for joining me. As you can see, it is not Rob Pugh. It is Mark Sutherland having the absolute privilege of standing in for Rob for WC TV. And I would like to wish all of you a happy 4th of July. We remember that you decided to have a little fracas with us and we had a little fracas with you over taxation without representation and i would like to say that right now i feel your pain all of these years later because that's where we are at in the uk and of course across the world one of the privileges of doing this show is that i am able to invite incredible guests on and some of those are very dear friends of mine so i will now introduce you to my dear friend carl tigrip we will be discussing a recent trip that he has made and, and uh, investigation. One of the wonderful things is, is that we can connect internationally. So, as I say to him, come in Canada. Canada, I hear you. How are you, my dear brother? Mark, it's uh, really good to be sharing this time together on uh, on this program. And I, I find, find it ironic as you were uh, wishing the the, the audience a uh, happy Fourth of July, as of course you're from the UK and I'm from Canada, and so this is a tri-national uh, <laughs> tri-national program today on America's uh, birthday, which is uh, I think rather ironic. It 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 is ironic, um, but as as you and I constantly discuss, and with your incredible research over the years of. I think we could now say a good 35 years. And, and I'm not uh, bigging a dear friend of mine up, but I think that uh, Carl is one of the most important researchers that we actually have at this time. So, but Carl, you're absolutely right, because history is so important. And we and people, of course, as we know, have been rewriting history while other people have been forgetting history. So it's up to us to remind people of that history. Carl, straight up from the off, could um, and Jonathan is going to show, could you please uh, um, very kindly explain to the audience where we can find you and, and your links and your research? Sure. So 
I've written a book entitled Game of Gods, The Temple of Man in the Age of Reenchantment, and I have a website dedicated to the book. You can read excerpts uh, of the book on that site, uh, look through the materials. And so gameofgods.ca, because it is a Canadian website. And then I also have another website called Forcing Change. Uh, For nine years, I published an online intelligence-style journal on issues pertaining to the, the intersection of global politics, global culture, technology, and religion. And uh, then I ended up having to mothball the project as I was working on my book. Uh, nevertheless, I put everything onto a forcingchange.org website, and uh, all of the back issues are free. It's, it's basically an historical archive. Uh, along with other reports and other articles, and so you can you can sign up. It's free, as I said. It's gratis. Just uh, use your email to pop in, and then you're able to access all the materials. Brilliant, Carl. Could you just um, remind me, remind the audience of how many pages are in your book? But more importantly, if, <laughs> if if you're able to, off the top of your head, how many pages of footnotes are in your book? Oh my word. Um, so the, the book is, including the index, I think 570 pages, and then I have exactly 1,800 footnotes. Uh, it is a researcher's guide. It's a researcher's book. I, I, maybe your audience, I know some of your audience will not know who I am or the work that I do, and I understand that. That's, that's fine. Uh, so I'll give a, just a quick introduction to, to, to that element of it. Uh, I've been researching and documenting global transformation now, well, full-time since 1997 when uh, a fellow by the name of Gary Kaw had me come and help uh, do the work on his second book, The New World Religion. And uh, so that has been my full-time endeavor from 1997. I was with him from 97 to the year 2001. Before that, uh, it was just a hobby, but it was a hobby that spun out of control as I uh, increasingly explored themes and subjects that disturbed me and concerned me, and I believe that the Christian community needed to understand what was happening in terms of of the shifts regarding uh, global governance, uh, the the move towards a a type of international spirituality, how that would look. Uh, So along the way, I have attended dozens and dozens and dozens of uh, various events of of international significance. So on the political realm, I was uh, a delegate to the United Nations Millennium Forum. I've been to a a few other United Nations events. Uh, I used to attend a lot of World Federalist events. And World Federalism is the the movement, the organized, funded movement towards world government. And so that was was part of, of what I did. And then along the way, attending interfaith events, because interfaithism is a form of global spiritual politics. And uh, Lord willing, I'll be traveling into the U.S. this summer, attending again the Parliament of World Religions, which is happening in Chicago. Um, And then on the the angle of technology, I was one of the first, not the first, but one of the first, one of the early Christian researchers to dig into the transhumanist movement already a long time ago. Uh, And and my material has has spread far and wide uh, regarding transhumanism. And then, oh boy, um, golly, I think 
around 2006 to 2008, I, I started to poke into the cultural side of globalization, the cultural side of, of international spirituality. Because if there is a political component, and if there is a religious component, being the interfaith side, and if there's a, a technological uh, element to this through transhumanism, then there has to be a cultural expression of what this looks like or feels like is maybe a better way of saying it. And so I started diving into what was, was then being called transformational festivals or evolutionary culture. And that takes you to, to events like Burning Man. Uh, it takes you into, into an incredibly complex milieu of festivals infused with, with New Age spirituality, pagan spirituality, uh, humanistic, human potential movement, human potential thinking. Uh, and it becomes a crossroads, especially especially the Burning Man event, is a crossroads for, for politics, religion, culture, and technology in, in a significant way. In fact, a lot of people don't realize that the products, many of the products you use online, including Google, um, are infused with the experiences that have come through events like Burning Man. You've, you've just laid out the fact that... Um the amount of research that you've done. And of course we then have uh, the relationships that well, you're aware of other people. The other day I had the, uh, the privilege to interview you with uh, William Jasper, Bill Jasper of the new, the uh, editor of the new America and John Burt society, etc. And then also we pay tribute to Joan Vion who wrote the book, Prince Charles, the sustainable prince, who's now, you know, the King of England. Um, but you, point out to me the fact that all this research that you continue to do, I mean, this hobby that has then blown up, as you've said, the fact that we on at times are just going, how do we get the church to engage with this? How do we get this information? How do we get the body of Christ to engage in, in the public discourse publicly more and more in regard to this discussion? as you have very kindly laid out, you have been talking about transhumanism uh, 13, 14, maybe 15 years ago, mm -hmm. that you have raised this issue in regard to these cultural changes. Carl, could you talk about a recent event, because you've just mentioned Burning Man. Could you explain what Burning Man is, what the importance of this is culturally in regard to these people that want cultural change, and yes. where you have been recently? Absolutely. And, and can I back it up just a little bit, Mark, back to the question of how, because you raised this in, in your comments about the Christian response to what is taking place. And then we'll maybe dive into Burning Man, if that's okay. Yes, of course. Of course. Fantastic. Fantastic. I find, Mark, that for the most part, we don't respond. We react. We react. We react with fear. We react with uh, uh, condemnation. We react in, in, in ways that don't help bringing forth the gospel of Jesus Christ or the truth of, 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 of the matter. So when I'm saying you know, when I'm saying this, this is you know the bottom line is we don't understand what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. So we'll you know we'll turn turn to John 3:16, uh, understandably so, but then we miss John 3:17, where Christ says he has not come to condemn the world because, well, we are condemned already. And, and this is important, and I have to wrestle with this. I'm condemned. You're condemned. When I go to these events, they're condemned already. 
the difference is Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. And so when you start to wrap your head around that, all of a sudden you're going, oh, all right. Um, we're all brothers or sisters in Adam. Uh, we need to be brothers and sisters in Christ. But we already are brothers and sisters in Adam and condemned in that uh, position. So when you have that as part of your outlook, um, you can at least walk in with a certain degree of empathy, a certain degree of of, of understanding that, all right, I, uh, what I'm seeing, what I'm seeing around me, as crazy as the world has become, these are still individuals who need Jesus Christ, bottom line. And, and so I can't condemn them because they're condemned already, as I myself once was. And then uh, we, we other, you know, the other way we react is, is fear. We, we simply become uh, afraid of, of where the culture is going. And I get that. I understand that. In fact, I, as you just alluded to, I, I recently was at uh, a transformational event. And, and in the last two days, some of the conversations I've had with friends and people in my community uh, demonstrated to me very quickly how uh, there's a certain degree of fear. And I'm like, hold on. Um, listen, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. Uh, we bow in love. And they will bow in judgment. Why are you afraid? Seriously, why are you afraid? Because you've bowed to the king of kings in love, and they themselves will also be bowing one day as well. So then the, the question is, how do we reach out? What do we do? I think uh, there's a key to this, and it's found in the writings of Paul when he talks about being an ambassador for Christ. And, and Paul is saying this not to, as a suggestion, He's not using the idea of being an ambassador as a metaphor. Rather, he is saying, you are an ambassador. So what does an ambassador do? An ambassador understands the culture around him. An ambassador takes the time to know his own king's power and position. An ambassador then goes into the culture. He goes into the foreign field. And wherever your feet are, that is where your mission is. And then he acts as a diplomat, telling the truth in a way that the, the culture around will be able to understand. Not that he waters it down in any respect, but he goes to where the people are. So that's, I think, Mark, one of the keys that we have to look at to unlock that question. How, as Christians, do we interact with the world around us, recognizing that the world is hostile to this message? So, right. So we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. We are called to go into the world and make disciples. And you and I have discussed this, e.g., how much of a subculture have we actually created, Carl? I know that's potentially quite a controversial question in certain, in certain areas of what we would call the body of Christ. Oh, I, th I think there are subcultures. Well, I, I know there are. I mean, mm -hmm. you and I have both intersected with those subcultures. Mm -hmm. uh, and th they're not wrong in and of themselves, but at the same time, we have to, at some point, uh, go beyond that subculture. In other words, stop preaching to the choir, and then that's what we do. And I get that. Uh, and we hope that others will join the choir, of course, and then be further educated. And programs like this are part of that endeavor. Let's continue to educate those who are in the choir and also uh, to, to bring up to speed those who are just joining the choir. But we need to be able to, to reach out beyond our subcultures. We have to. Uh, if we can't, then it becomes an isolated um, community. 
and and we're no longer then acting in a way that represents the Great Commission. And I mean, my goodness, um, where I live in rural Manitoba, Canada, uh, we have we have little pockets, little groups of people, Mennonite people, and I come from a Mennonite background, uh, who have literally isolated themselves. One group uses horses and buggies. The other group lives in communes. And um, it stagnates. Uh, There's no outreach. Uh, I have great conversations with them, for sure. The good neighbors, for sure. But uh, it it becomes part of the expression, maybe, inbred, you know, spiritually, intellectually. Uh, And and there really is very little outreach, if any. Because why would you? You're, You're hiding behind your, you know, your walls. So we have to, we've got to kick our own, you know, kick ourselves in our own pants and say, hey, um, every time you walk out the door, there's a mission field. And wherever your feet are, whether it's in your house with your friends or your spouse or your children, or uh, or you walk into McDonald's or Walmart or Target, uh, <laughs> it's a mission field. Literally, everywhere your feet go, that is where your mission field is. I have had, you know, I've had so many young people because I, I teach a course on secular and pagan trends at a Bible college. Uh, and I have had so many young people say, well, you know, what is, what is God's calling in my life? Uh, where, where is God sending me? I'm like, dude, wherever your feet are, that is where you are to be Jesus's ambassador, bottom line. So now, uh, now we have to, you know, take, I, we, we have to take that seriously because we live in an age where there is, uh, there's a lot of questions being asked, including questions by the, the non-Christian community. So, and that kind of brings me around a little bit to to what happened in the last couple of couple of days. I was at a a regional Burning Man event, and and I'm sure the audience might be wondering, well, what is number one Burning Man? And, and Mark, you brought up that question. It's an important question. So, Burning Man is a gathering of individuals, um, roughly seventy to eighty thousand people, once a year, every year. Of course, the COVID period. Uh, ended that for that time um, in the Black Rock Desert of Northern Nevada and they gather and build a temporary city and it's truly a city. 80,000 people is a city uh, and it has uh, uh, temples uh, it has one major temple uh, in the very center of the city is a, a large human effigy the man on Saturday they burn the man uh, the following Sunday they burn the temple and um, it, it's a place that you see the you see Silicon Valley coming together. It really is Silicon Valley's event more than anything else. Uh, it's it's the the stomping grounds of Google. Uh, Elon Musk goes. I've I've rubbed shoulders with the European Union liaison officer to the U.S. federal government. Uh, you meet people from the World Bank. Uh, that that happened in 2019. In fact, 2019 we had. 52 U.S. mayors uh, in the city trying to take out lessons and, and to come away with, with concepts that they could then integrate into their own communities. It's a clothing optional event. It is highly spiritual. It is psychologically disruptive, uh, incredibly psychologically disruptive. And the idea behind it is, is you will transform in some way because of the experiences that you've had. Larry Harvey, the, the founder of Burning Man, who's passed away now, uh, would describe it in, in language like the, towards the idea that this is a cult of experience. You are experiencing 
what is true. You are experiencing your higher self. You're experiencing uh, this connection or this sense of oneness, this idea that you, nature, and the divine, however you define the divine, are all essentially one. And so it, it becomes very important, especially within the tech sector. Um, Google's very first doodle, and if you, of course, if you jump onto to the uh, computer uh, today on, on July the 4th and explore the, you know, Google Doodle, um, you'll, you'll see, a, you know, maybe American flags or, or, or fireworks. That's a Google Doodle. Thanksgiving, it's the, the Google Doodle, maybe, you know, you know turkeys and, and, and pie or something like that. But the very first Google Doodle, the very first one was 1997. And pardon me, 1998, and it was um, uh, the Burning Man symbol. And so the Burning Man symbol was placed in the center of, of, of the word Google, and it was a, a mark uh, that uh, demonstrated to Silicon Valley, we are burners first. And according to the story, um, I believe the, the Google founders lost, I think, almost $11 million by basically saying to, to their attorneys, hey, you deal with it. We're running off to the desert, and we're going to participate in, in Burning Man because that's what we are first and foremost. We're burners. And then for a, a period of time, in fact, Google uh, would ha- do bus runs to Burning Man and even did in-house videos on, uh, on how Google uh, employees could respond to, to their experiences at Burning Man. Um, and then Eric Schmidt, who became the CEO that made Google what it is today and, 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 and in turn made him one of the most important men uh, in the world. The reason he, had, uh, he received the position of, uh, of uh, CEO of Google was because he had Burning Man on the resume. So there is an incredible cultural and technological importance to this event. Uh, and I've gone three times. Um, and then I've participated in a, a number of other uh, affiliated Burning Man events. So it, it's a fascinating culture to rub shoulders with. Uh, it's not always an easy culture to rub shoulders with, but uh, it's important because a lot of folks don't realize that this is this is what is setting the cultural trend. And if it isn't setting it, it is reflecting it. It is mirroring it. Uh, and uh, it really is, in many respects, simply the the condensment of what your neighbors, your friends, and your family may be already participating in or are certainly believing within their own hearts. So this, in many ways, to me, I mean, my first reaction to it, it it's been laying down the foundation of the next stage of looking at a one-world religion, one-world government, etc. And And I also know, because we've discussed this, that, you know, you get you might have criticism for the fact that you actually attend these events like you attend um, other events because you are actually doing research. Carl, and of course with other discussions that we've had about, about this, how do we get over the fear that we see that the church then is expounding? How do we challenge this fear to say to people, this is what is going on. This is what we have to engage with because Google, all of this tech and the way it's driving 
how do we engage with this and bring Jesus into this context? Good question. Something that we've done, uh, and, and I think this is, I, uh, not, I think I know that this has been an encouragement to others. Um, in 2007, 18, and 19 at Burning Man, we, we set up a, a camp, and the camp, the sign at the camp read, Camp of the Unknown God based out of Acts 17. And of course, you know, in Acts 17, Paul goes to Athens. He, he surveys the city and he sees it's given over to idols. He sees it's given over to pagan spirituality. And, and he notices all these different monuments and temples. And one of the monuments is to an unknown God. And then Paul finds himself being dragged before a court, uh, a council of the Areopagus, and what's interesting is the backdrop that Paul would find himself in would be the Temple of Zeus behind him, the Temple of Athena and Nike. And, and he now has to give an account to the city's most important judges in matters of spirituality and philosophy. It was a very famous council. Uh, and it was, it was held in, in Athens, most spiritually important part of the city. And so there he talks about how uh, God is is the maker of heaven and earth, which demonstrates that he is not the same as creation. And he brings them forward, Jesus Christ, who was who had died and, and, and was raised from the dead, proving himself. And he does all of this by, by leveraging their own worldview. He quotes to them their own philosophers. And he brings them back around to this very monument that he, that he encountered as he was surveying the city that he in fact has seen this this monument to the unknown god and now now let me tell you who this unknown god is well we did the same thing in many respects it's, we modeled this in 17 18 and 19 uh and it was remarkable because we had people coming up going hey who is this unknown god just like that well <laughs> it doesn't get more open than that does it if we were out there with bullhorns and a picket sign and doing all the things that, that, you know, the stereotypical things, uh, they would be completely turned off and we would have lost our voice. But if you do it in a way that's creative and you've walked into their culture and you are respectful because you've entered their world and you recognize that because they are human beings, they have worth because they have been made in the image of God, not that they are becoming gods, not that you and I are God, not at all, but that we are an imager of him. We are to represent and extend that quality and that character that says we are different than the natural world and that there is a value to every individual. Then we are able to actually have a, a voice at the table. And so we had many, many conversations. And it wasn't always easy. We had conversations that were sometimes quite challenging. But that's okay. And we had people who were turned off. And that's okay. And so we did that. We, we, we did that as a little experiment. And, and it worked out really well. And it taught me a lot, Mark. It taught me the fact that if you engage the culture uh, with truth and with love, and you walk into their setting, uh, and you don't be ignorant, uh, you, nobody wants that. Nobody wants you know, a jerk to walk into the house and you know, point fingers and yell and whatever. Uh, they're open to have conversations. And in that place, people are hungry. They're searching. They're looking for that experience. And, and they have rejected, you know, the culture has rejected Christianity. Ironically, they don't even know what they've rejected. 
Um, and so it has afforded us that, that opportunity to be able to express ourselves as ambassadors for Christ. And I think there's a lesson there. There's a model there that we can work with. Brilliant. Brilliant. Carl, can you, you said something very interesting. The God of Nike. Could you explain yes. that one? Nike was a, a, a Greco-Roman deity. Uh, the Greco-Roman worldview held out many different deities. Um, Zeus and Athena, uh, you know, the list goes on. But yes, Paul would have found himself, um, he would have found himself surrounded by that pagan worldview at that time. So it's uh, it's interesting. You uh, you tend to think that that's a, a totally different world. The world of you know the pagan world is an ancient world, and it is, but it has come full circle. I, I mean, I've traveled across the U.S. and Canada, and what blows me away, and I've I've written this in my book. I've got a section of this in chapter seven. Oh, it doesn't seem to matter what state or province I go to. Uh, if it's not your legislation building or your state uh, state capital, it's, it's going to be found in universities or found in other settings. The top of your domes uh, are, you know, representatives of, of Athena or uh, uh, Mercury. In my province, it's, it's, the, it's called the Golden Boy. He stands on top of my provincial legislative building. But the Golden Boy was designed as, as literally as, as Mercury, uh, the deity of the underworld, um, and so you, here we are in this, you know, our modern culture, our technologically advanced civilization. And uh, I find it fascinating that, that on our high places, because that's what they are, hmm. uh, we, erect, we erect statues to ancient pagan deities to reflect enlightenment ideals. Uh, remarkable. It's really remarkable. And uh, so we can't get away from, from this ancient pagan concept. And, and really, Mark, that pagan concept boils down to this idea of oneness. That's ultimately what it is. Oneness representing the concept that God, man, and nature are all one. They, they are indistinguishable in their quality or in their core essence. The biblical worldview is, no, 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 it's not oneness. And it's not dualism. It is, as Dr. Peter Jones describes it from Truth Exchange, it is two-ism, as in the letter, or pardon me, the number two. That is God, distinct, unique, completely different, and then creation, and all that is a part of the cosmos and the created order. So creation versus creator. Of course, you see that in Romans chapter 1. And I mean, it is as fundamental as this, but when you grasp how important that is, all of a sudden you see how it plays out in the realm of politics and religion and culture. So Burning Man represents that, that expression of oneness through the experience that you are now having uh, in the desert, interacting with the art, interacting with psychedelics, interacting with, uh, uh, in, in conversations as, as you are now being psychologically and spiritually shifted uh, to feel, uh, to allow your emotions to feel that sense of connection, that oneness. And basically, it's a neurochemical flow uh, overlaid now with a spiritual principle. But you've um, you've just said a very important thing with this whole thing of in regard to the creation and the creator. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I have just seen a comment that has been sent to sent to us by our sent to me us by our dear friend audrey 
um, in Canada where about Sadiq Khan, who's the mayor of London, um, with uh, King Charles now, oh, you know, setting off the climate change clock. So that is another, to me, it just about sums everything up of this whole thing of transformation, pushing this propaganda to get people to to think, to accept that we now must worship creation instead of the creator. It's, it's not lost on me as we are having this discussion on the 4th of July, and I need to make a political comment in the fact that we, I remember, you remember, the audience may remember, that when Obama then became uh, president, as he there he was on this big stage, which is very interesting, the set behind of of uh, seeing horses, God's um, influence, turning round and and saying we are you know minutes away from transforming America. That as a phrase, of course, we are minutes away now from. I look at what's been going on in the UK with what's been gone over the last three years with what's been going on in Canada and uh, the fact that um, the World Economic Forum, you've just touched on this whole thing of one. I think of, I think Bono involved in, uh, in something called, you know, his society um, uh, one and all, and all, all this, all this kind of thing. So, then then you've got and I, I would just like to touch on this particular individual because you are uh, an expert on him as well as in what I'm trying to say is maybe very badly, Carl, is that we think that we're then informed and we suddenly realize we've got a fourth column inside what we would call Christendom undermining everything, undermining our biblical worldview. So let's just name names. When we look at people like Rick, Rick Warren who the involvement of Schuler, the, the, the sort of, there is a new age to me, a new age influence. There is also an influence where he does not then talk about biblical prophecy and all this kind of thing. Sorry to put you on the spot. What, what kind of, what comments would you, would you have in regard to people like Rick Warren and the way that they are such an influence behind the scenes in a negative way, even though various people go, oh, he's written a great book. This is fantastic. And it sounds as though I'm being very personal, but this is real to him, but this is very, very important, especially when he has just become the honorary president of a very important in the past uh, Bible training center for the Baptist church in the UK, which is Spurgeon's college. What say you? Well, I know we're going to be running up into a break here at any mm. moment. So uh, do you want to maybe cover this right after the break? Yes, that would be, that would be really, really good. That would be, uh, that would be really good. You know, and it's setting up, setting up that particular, um, that particular question. But thank you. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. The solutions are based in the fact that we're going to resist this new world order with everything that we have. Rise up, O church. The gates of Hades shall not prevail. See, when God's people are in control, there's peace. 
Every single aspect of Satan's power is defeated when we hold up the shield of faith. Decide what you're going to do in the face of evil. If one angel can take out 185,000 enemy soldiers, you think God can handle George Soros and Klaus Schwab? How can we be afraid? Order your seven DVD set today. The Great Pushback Against the Great Reset. TimelessVideoTransfer.com That's TimelessVideoTransfer.com Lord bless you. Um, having just watched that advert, I didn't realize what that advert was going to be about, but it absolutely sums it up and it now empowers us for the rest of the show in regard to the question that I have just asked Carl, because you're talking about fear and there's people there on that advert and some of them are personal friends actually saying, no, we need to, we need to talk about this pushback. Carl, we come back to people like Rick Warren and the, the sort of, infiltration of certain thinking what 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 are your comments on that i i don't think the audience and i'm sure i, I know the audience is is educated but sometimes i don't think the audience and and, and i am going to also speak to myself regarding this subject i don't think sometimes we realize how entrenched the church has been in pressing and pushing these very agendas forward. And it's not just men like Rick Warren, though he has certainly played his role. And I think of others like Brian McLaren, who gave us the emergent church movement, which ended up becoming progressive Christianity. Uh, but you can trace this back going uh, deep, deep back. I, I, I've been able to trace it back predating the 1893 Parliament of World's Religions. I said 1893. Parliament of the World's Religions, which really was the tipping point to give us this new sense of internationalism. And then during World War II, who were some of the most influential play? pardon me, not World War II, let me back that up, World War I, the Great War, who were some of the most influential personalities who pressed for the League to Enforce Peace, the group that predated the League of Nations? Well, they were Baptist ministers, progressive ministers, Methodist ministers, and then during World War II, we had John Foster Dulles leading a Federal Council of Churches committee, which, by the way, the Federal Council of Churches, uh, already going back a few decades prior to World War I, was also influencing the political conversation around internationalism and the idea of a world federation. And as Nicholas Murray Butler, the president of Columbia University, was saying, already in 1914, this idea of a new world order. No, George Bush Sr. did not coin the phrase. It predates him by, well, golly, over 100 years because it predates even World War I. It predates even the, the 1893 Parliament of World Religions. And so World War II, we see John Foster Dulles with the Federal Council of Churches putting a commission together to find a just and durable basis for world peace. And their recommendation is world government. The Methodists, the Southern Baptist Convention, the Northern Baptists, all of them had crusades for world order. So there's already a long history of church involvement with this idea. So to have Rick Warren say what he says and does what he does, or Brian McLaren, or, you know, the list is long, Richard Rohr, uh, we've had this kind of thinking already in play in our seminaries 
for a great deal of time. I have been fortunate as a Christian researcher, and, and by the way, my, my, my approach to research has been pretty basic. Um, when, I, when I started this, you know, going down this path, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I hadn't gone to university. I don't have a university degree. But uh, so, so I had to approach it by asking the question, how do you engage in research? Well, it's simple. You go to where the action is. You go to where the conversations are taking place. You go to world, where the world is changing. So that's basically what I did. I didn't think of doing anything else. Peer-reviewed? Yes, of course you dive into peer-reviewed material. But the bottom line is you go to where the people are actually making those changes. That's what you do. You dig up first source material, bottom line. That's where you start. You start at, at the foundation. And so that's that's kind of what I've done. And, and along the way, I've been very fortunate to attend a number of interfaith events, uh, including the G8 World Religions Summit that took place in 2010 in my own home province of Manitoba in the city of Winnipeg. And, and so it's interesting to see the Christian community, leaders of seminaries, leaders of major, major denominations, uh, important figureheads. I, I think of Jim Wallace the progressive Christian of sojourners who I have had the, uh, the opportunity of listening to at the Parliament of World Religions and at the G8 World Religions Summit. Uh, they're all at the table. The, there is a chair that's pulled out and set aside for the Christian community that says, come and join us. You can sit at this table. You just can't talk about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. In fact, when you bring that up, that, that's anathema. You don't say things like that. Um, you don't engage in truth claims that disrupt. And so the Christian community has been involved in this for ages. And it's, it's both to our shame, and at the same time, uh, it is incredibly, a, a, an incredibly concerning development. And I, I, I use that word development in, in a loose way because it's been with us for like two and a half, three generations already. It's not just a development anymore. It's it's status quo for so many, for so many within the faith, you know, the faith community. And I look at my in my own country, Canada, at the United Church of Canada. The United Church of Canada is supposedly Canada's most important and largest Protestant denomination. Uh, it's been in existence for about eighty years when a, a few different denominations came together to form the United Church of Canada. And back eighty years ago, at least there was some semblance of the gospel that was being preached. But by the nineteen sixties, they had jettisoned Jesus out the door. And now you go into their church services and you sit down and you open up their hymn book, and there's a song to "Oh Beautiful Gaia," and a song to Mother Earth, and it's rainbows and it's it's everything as progressive. I mean, as literally as progressive as you can get. It's pro-global governance, pro-United Nations, pro-one world. It is, it is pagan, both in its politics and in its spirituality. And so it's like, okay, that is a trajectory. Shame on us. And so it's important for, for this audience to recognize that, yes, the Christian community is part of the problem. And so we need to be able to start separating what is biblical Christianity versus the politicized progressivist side to, to the Christian faith. And I mean, my goodness, you, you know, whether you're Republican or Democrat, if you're, if you're looking to, you know, to say we're going to somehow uh, take churches and we're going we're gonna to put you know, a church group in the White House and we're going to you know, run it as a Christian nation, 
look, look, if you're if you're looking to polit- you know, if you're looking at politics to save you, politics is important. Politics is just man's relationship to man. But if you look to politics to save us, um, we run the risk. We run a grave risk then uh, in terms of not recognizing where our salvation really rests on, and that is Jesus Christ alone. Politics is important, really important. Getting the word out is really important. Standing on, you know, standing up for what is true, absolutely. Uh, but let's not confuse the fact that our ultimate salvation comes from Christ and Christ alone. Well said. And as we as we constantly quote, you know, Ephesians six talks about the fact that we're not fighting flesh and blood, but we're fighting principalities and powers. And you have brilliantly, very very succinctly, in a very short amount of time, talked about the history and what these principalities and powers have been up to for a long, long time. And then I would say, my opinion, that the church has not been aware of of this. I have to say that respectfully to, to a number of people, which means that then that's that whole thing of when I alluded to, that we create this subculture, we opt out. My people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. Hosea 4, verse 6. I get constant, you know, criticism at times saying that's the only verse you seem to be quoting. But the fact is, is that it is down to our knowledge to be like a Berean, to study scripture for ourselves, but to look at the signs of the times and what is going on. Um, as we um, start entering uh, to the last, uh, the last part of the show, Carl, it's been an incredible discussion it constantly is with you because and we need many many hours because i think one of the biggest challenges that we uh, that we have is the fact that um is the fact that we we are trying to ask people to step up and to engage intellectually to start to really really think i don't i don't mean that rudely to people but we want people to we don't want people to necessarily agree with us but we want people to go and do the research carl very simply and maybe i've answered the question how do we what can we actually practically do to overcome that that fear on an individual basis and on a corporate basis how can we then encourage encourage that movement forward i think at an individual level you're looking for those opportunities well first of all you have to educate yourself and we do that first and foremost with god's word that is what we do and then we then we also take a look at what is happening around us in terms of the history and the contemporary movements of our day but first and foremost it's through the lens of god's word and then as we engage in the culture around us, we look for those opportunities to have conversations. And, and they can be small, small conversations. And you allow that to take place naturally. You allow that to just freely flow. Uh, this last weekend, uh, pardon me, I, I realize this is July the 4th. This is right now uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was at a regional Burning Man event in Alberta. And... Uh, uh, the regional Burning Man event. We, I was there to do to do research. In fact, I did social surveys. I did a hundred 
social surveys. It was a great way for me to get out of my comfort zone and engage in conversations. And you just simply allow the conversations to unfold. And, and that was, that was really good. And sometimes it's, it's, it's pretty uncomfortable. I had a situation where, uh, uh, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to play through the whole thing. Nevertheless, I had a situation unfold where, where I walked by a camp and I've been walking by this camp all weekend long. And it had, I had already surveyed the camp and Ray had spent time in conversations in the camp. And as I walked by, it was Sunday after they had burnt the temple. Um, I walked by the camp and this, this guy comes out and, uh, and he says, I've seen you all weekend long. I saw you on the very first day. I've seen you during the course of the event. I see you now at the end. And then his, and he gets, I mean, face to face with me. Inches, you know, eyes are inches away from each other. And his whole face changes. And he has this guttural voice. And he goes, where do you get your power? And it was like, Okay, all right, this is something else entirely. Um, and it was raw. It was really raw for the next five minutes or so as uh, I had to explain my power comes from Jesus Christ. And then his voice is just, it, it was a bizarre encounter. And I know if I had a few people say this is probably demonic possession, and it very well may be, or it may be the, the drugs that he was taking speaking out as well regardless regardless it was an uncomfortable encounter and so i think as christians when we engage with the culture around us yes it's going to be uncomfortable it can be really remarkably uncomfortable so what we're called to be ambassadors we're called to be ambassadors we bow our knee to the one who is the king of kings and so why are we afraid why are we afraid and i go back to this again and again why are we afraid? So we engage them where they are. We, we drop uh, Christ into our conversation. Uh, we, you know, one of the starting points that I have used on a number of occasions is this juxtaposition between one-ism and two-ism. I had a great experience of that when I had uh, attended a, a Wiccan conference in uh, Minneapolis. Uh, it was, it's a, the largest indoor gathering of witches and Wiccans in the U.S. Midwest. I had a, uh, an individual, a fellow, he, who had hit on me. Uh, I diffused his advance, but said, "Let's have coffee. Let's sit down and have a, you know, a, a have a visit." And for two hours, we had a, a great visit. And he was right away asking. And I'm there as a researcher. He's right away asking, "Well, what what branch of paganism am I from?" And I'm like, "I'm not pagan. I'm a Christian." And it blew him away. And so he was like, "Well, let's have this conversation then." You know, Christianity, you're a Christian versus pagan. And, and so I brought him around to the starting point that God is unique, that he is not the same as nature, that he is separate and distinct. That is actually the meaning of holy and exalted. And so we brought into the conversation oneism versus twoism. His oneism, where God, nature, and man are all of the same essence versus the biblical position that says there is value and distinctions because the God of the universe is himself distinct. And so it was a fascinating two-hour-long conversation. Um, but it began just by sitting down and having coffee, but being willing to, to enter that conversation too. And it was done very, very respectfully. So 
you know, you can have everything from people telling you get lost, buddy. Cause I, we've had that, um, to all of a sudden something like what happened at this regional burning man where, where something guttural, something at this base level and probably something that is demonic, um, just based on the rest of the conversation I had with him or, or it, uh, all of a sudden it's raw and there in your face, all the way to sitting down and having that intellectual, calm, respectful conversation. So allow God to use you where you are. And, uh, I think that's that's pretty much as basic and as and, and as simple and yet as profound as it'll get. Because so on an individual level, let's be responsible as as ambassadors for Christ. And then at a corporate level, let's build the faith up. Let's build each other up in knowledge and in wisdom. And uh, and let's ground ourselves in who is true, not only on what is true. I mean, that's what we've been wrestling with even in this hour-long. Uh, TV, you know, show what is true, but it's it's more than what is what you know. It's more than what is true. It is who is true. You know, when Pilate had Jesus standing before him, uh, it's a really interesting ex- exchange, a really interesting conversation. Pilate asks Jesus, "What is truth?" It was the wrong question. He should have been asking, "Who is true?" Because the one who is true was standing right in front of him, and the one who is true is in our hearts and in our spirits. He's the one who guides our steps. And so the church corporately needs to stop and ask who is true. I think that's really fundamental. Carl, brilliant. I mean, because reflecting, I mean, I'm very grateful to be given this opportunity to host uh, Rob's show. And the point I would like to make is the fact, as you've said at the beginning, you're from Canada, I'm from the UK, and we are today addressing uh, uh have the privilege to address an american audience but we give we then give different perspectives and one of the things that i admire rob for doing is to trying to give america those different perspectives to get america to look outside its borders and to realize what is actually going on this is not a, a criticism of a country that i absolutely love to bits with many friends here but the key is when we ask how many how many passports do americans own how many americans have actually traveled outside the border you there outside the borders of their countries you then get a different perspective and also the fact that over the last few years in the uk in canada in america it's been revealed to us how the press has been uh, basically propagandizing putting certain views forward that we have all need that we've needed to challenge etc etc and on the on the other hand and that's flipping this this is an incredible time to be alive because our priority is to preach the gospel now you um you said uh, as we're coming up into the last five minutes i don't i don't know if you can succinctly talk about a comment that some people of our age made that you that who you met at Alberta in regard to socialism. <laughs> yes, one of the conversation I, I had was with a group of of professionals, business people. And, you know, ironically, um, <laughs> with very nice and expensive RVs, saying how happy they were and excited they were that the, this younger generation coming up is is now starting to rediscover socialism. And I thought to myself. That, and that is the problem. That that is, 
that that shows you the trajectory where things are going. And so we have to speak truth into this culture. We have to actually, I've, I've worked with young people, golly, for, for decades. Uh, I'm still a young person at heart. Uh, and we really need to reach out to that younger generation and bring them up with both truth and knowledge. And so, you know, when I, when I hear statements like that, uh, it kind of, you know, inside I have a little shudder going, that's not the road we want to go. We want to go down the road of freedom and liberty. And freedom, by the way, is fundamental to, should be fundamental to the human experience. Christ sets us free from our sins. He makes us free indeed. And so from that point, then we want to extend freedom to each other as well. Even if you're not a Christian, why would I want to wrap you in invisible barbed wire? Why do I want to wrap you in, in a form of bondage? No, I have been set free, so therefore I want you to be free as well. And freedom is an absence. It is the absence of coercion. And the absence of coercion allows you now to pursue liberty, which are the options that open up to you now that you are indeed free. Absolutely. And that is a fundamental for all men. Absolutely. And in the last uh, few minutes, um, I just would like to make this statement. When I made my short film, it's quite significant today for me in the fact that we're having this conversation because I made my short film Between Lambs and Lions. I loaded it up on the uh, on the 4th of uh, the fourth of July, 2015, um, not to be uh, a sort of, not to be clever, but as, a, as I felt led as a prophetic warning to what was coming to America. And the film depicts a time when the Constitution of the United States has been suspended and there was complete overreach by the executive branch. And I was led to make that. Now, I don't sit here being clever. What I'm asking, as you are asking, Carl, we are asking to engage in the culture, use all the means that we can to to spread the gospel, to tell people about Jesus, the salvation that, that Jesus brings. And, and that is just fundamentally so important. What upsets me is when people do not engage. They do not engage the culture. Now, I think... Again, we're we're just coming up to the last uh, the last minute or two of of the show, and I cannot uh, thank you enough, Carl, for the fact that we are able to have yet another incredible conversation. Um, so, just wrapping up, really, we have to engage, we have to push forward, we have to be encouraged. I would just want to. Just say for the last few seconds again, how how where can people where can people find you and, and are you able to say what you're up to next? Well, uh, people can can look at my uh, my book's webpage, gameofgods.ca, and uh, I would encourage obviously hope that you would be able to go in and look at purchasing a book, uh, either in Kindle or in paperback, and uh, to use the resource that that book is. And then forcingchange.org uh, and the resources that are at Forcing Change, because Forcing Change is basically just it's a free, it's a gratis resource for you to use. Uh, what I'm going to be doing next, yes, uh, hopefully, hopefully, I've got my ticket, hopefully, uh, if the resources and all the things kind of gel together, I'll be at the Parliament of World Religions later this summer in Chicago doing research and then again if everything gels and it's a big if but you no know, you have to walk forward um back at burning man that's what the the, the game plan is at this point 
Well, what's incredible is when you point out when these events, etc., are taking part, you know, are going on within the UK, because one of the, this is just my personal opinion, one of the biggest things we're facing within the UK, again, is the, is the rise of paganism and uh, people reverting to that and seeing that uh, as uh, our own particular culture within the UK, that we are not too far away from that as the church is being pushed out of the public square of the public discourse on, on every and every opportunity that the enemy actually has. And what is being exposed is, is our, is our, is the paganism. So, Carl, I just cannot thank you enough for uh, joining me today. I urge people, if you do not have Carl's book, this isn't about a book selling. This is about getting an important research and information out there. And I encourage you to go and do that. I don't take a percentage of any profits. I'm just delighted when Carl's work is out there in the public square because it is an important tool for people to use the 18,000 uh, footnotes etc etc just describe the amount of research that he has done that he is doing on behalf of us all now carl i just want to um if you've got any final comment but i just want to thank you for giving me the privilege of joining me today Oh, absolutely, Mark. No, it was my pleasure. And I didn't have 18,000, 1,800. 18, if I, if I had 18,000, that'd be like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do apologize. I'm, I'm sometimes accused of getting <laughs> certain comments wrong, but um, no. No, and Mark, I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to come on this program. And uh, my hope and my prayer is that it's going to be both challenging to the audience and rewarding as we look to be ambassadors uh, for Christ in a remarkably changing and, and quickly shifting world. No, thank you. So I just want to thank everyone for uh, joining, joining us, uh, joining us today to word, to word you to not be filled with a, a spirit of fear, but a, a spirit of love power and of sound mind in these times that yes we don't deny are challenging and um you know it's but it's but god but we have to engage we also have to support each other as i'm talking from the uk carl has joined us from canada and again i say i just wish you all a happy fourth of july please Reflect on that. Reflect on the three uh, percent backed up by the four percent that took the redcoats on, that took uh, then Britain, the most powerful army at that time on in the world, and you and you won. And because growing from that, we do not want taxation without representation. And I have to say again that that is what we are actually personally facing within the UK. So, Jonathan, I ask you very kindly, as you've been producing this, to take us out. And I just thank you again for joining me today on WCTV. I will see you soon. Mm -hmm.